Uh, last Sunday night, we talked about the early church and the book of Acts and their, their power that they found in the Holy Spirit. And tonight, we're going to kind of shake it up, even our whole service tonight, and just talk about the baptism experience uh, itself. And it can be a weird thing for many of us, myself included, growing up even in an Assemblies of God church. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was one of the things that mystified me, that put me off about growing closer in God, that one of the things that I shied away from for uh, 17 years of my life growing up with the knowledge of it. And uh, so I totally understand those of us who are introverts, because I am one, and wanting, understanding the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and prophecy and dreams and, and those sorts of things. And so... Uh, I'm going to try to answer a few questions tonight that I already have in my notes that people often ask me. But before we get going, and I'm not going to answer them right now, but I just want you to throw some out there at me. What are the uh, perhaps questions that people ask you or have asked you about the Holy Spirit or about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or maybe questions in your life you had had at one time or maybe still do? And we're not going to get into your personal life, but I just we're going to just... Throw some out, and I'm over the next just few minutes, I'm going to try to maybe answer a few through my notes. But uh, what are some popular questions uh, that you normally hear about the Holy Spirit and the baptism, or tongues, or whatnot? Throw, me, throw out some at me. Do you got to talk in, speak in tongues to go to heaven? What else? What else are some things people ask you? Or maybe you've thought, or wondered, or maybe you've heard. What's it for? What's this Holy Spirit baptism thing for? That's good. What else? They don't do that anymore. That ended with the Old Testament, or that ended with the New Testament and the apostles. That's very common. Got it when I was saved. If I have the Holy Spirit, I already had him. That's good. I saw something else. Whew. Holy Spirit. Is there a difference between the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and the Spirit of God? Right. Yeah. And now you get all these different names. Are they all the same person? Okay, that's good. Yes, ma'am. Right. Do I have to be baptized in water to receive the Holy Spirit? That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, anything else? Other common questions or weird thoughts you've had? I've got, I've got dozens. But Is it just for Pentecostal people? That's good. Oh, that's a good one. What's the difference between speaking in tongues in the church and speaking in tongues to yourself? That's a very good one. And I will say, after tonight, we're going to come back. In the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit and what are all the gifts of the Spirit and what are they for and how do we receive those. That's good. That's good. Yes, ma'am. Does the devil understand what you're saying when you pray and in tongues? Okay, that's good. Ooh, that's a perfect question. How do you seek the Holy Spirit baptism? How do you get it? How do you seek it? That's good. Let's see another hand over here. Well, these are all very, very good questions. Yes, ma'am. We do. We do. And I'm going to show you t tonight. There are two books I do also recommend if this is something that's really interesting to you. Uh, the first one is called My Holy, The Holy Spirit, My Senior Partner by Paul or David Young Yi Cho. It's the same guy. Uh, the Holy Spirit, My Senior Partner. It's a great book. Uh, just a good, it's kind of a very easy read, um, but very challenging. Uh, the other one, if you're looking, if you're an in-depth Bible reader and you really want to know everything about it, uh, the, really the doctrinal view of the Holy Spirit is called 
What the Bible Says About the Holy Spirit by Stanley M. Horton. This is probably one of the most concise uh, or really over uh, the biggest depth overview um, book. I'm talking uh, trustworthy, scriptural-based, who is the Holy Spirit. Everything you want to know about the Holy Spirit uh, is in this book right here, What the Bible Says About the Holy Spirit uh, by Stanley Horton. Uh, let's talk about the question, how do I, um, why do I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, if I've already had it when I got saved? I think that's one of the first questions people mostly ask. If Don't I have the Holy Spirit when I get saved? The answer is yes, you do. Um, the Christian road is often marked through, when you look at uh, Scripture, it goes from salvation, we believe in faith, and we are called to be baptized in water. The Bible gives us the call for communion, and those are the, the kind of the ordinances of the church. But then we see throughout the book of Acts that there would be this progression. There would be on to spiritual baptism uh, and spiritual gifts. And that would lead us to the mission of Christ. And a mature believer uh, ends up at that mission of Christ, that they are doing the mission of God. We see the natural progression of every Christian in the New Testament was that they became missional. They became mission-minded, and those who in the upper room that night in the book of Acts had all done one thing. They had all accepted the Great Commission, and that was the key for them moving forward. Uh, But the Christian role um, is like this. In John chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. John chapter 14, verse 16 through 17. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. Jesus is talking to His disciples on the Mount of Olives before He's going to be crucified. And He is trying to comfort them about what is going to happen. And He is about to fulfill the coming of the Holy Spirit because of His death. In John chapter 14, He talks about, uh, in verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you, everybody say, with you, with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him nor know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be what? In you. There are three levels. Um, it's really not levels. I hate the word levels because we try to think of Christianity and, and better than use. And that's not really what it means. Three depths of connection that uh, I can, we can kind of see in Scripture. And then the first one is the with. The Holy Spirit is said to have been with the world. He is with the world, uh, drawing men to the Father. Nobody can come to the Father unless the, the Spirit draws him. That The Spirit of God is in the world today trying to get people to come to Jesus. And He was with the disciples, but He wasn't in them. And then John, uh, at the end of John, in John chapter 20, verse 22, after Jesus has risen from the grave, He comes to His disciples and He <sighs> breathes on them. And basically uh, showing us again the the new Adam, that Adam had received the breath of God. He had that life from the garden. Now Jesus is symbolically giving that breath back to the disciples that now they have the Holy Spirit in them. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He says that He's with you, but at salvation, that born-again breath that John chapter 3, verse 3 talked about, uh, Jesus talked about with Nicodemus, that that breath of life, that newness of life comes in you. The Holy Spirit comes in you when you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's the key. He's Lord over death and hell and sin. He is the Son of God. He did rise from the grave. If you believe that with all of your heart and your life demonstrates it, the Holy Spirit will come into your heart. 
And he will rake a new heart, a new mind, and a new spirit inside of you. And that is the in you. But when Jesus just said that, he also said something just a little few verses later in the book of Luke. He says, but hey, 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 you've received the Holy Spirit, but wait until he comes upon you. Wait until you receive power from on high. And so then Acts, this baptism experience is always an upon you type understanding. Acts chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. The baptism is an upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power, symbolic of an anointing. The anointing of as in the oil would pour upon the priest's head in the Old Testament. It was upon you. Consecration, setting apart with purpose and with power from God. So we have a with you, in you, and upon you. Uh, so that's the way I best understand it, just to kind of get my mind around it. And, and these are English words. They're limited. They're not uh, something I'm just going to say, hey, this is the ultimate theology of, of Christianity. But to understand in my mind that there is this progression of what God was wanting to accomplish in the disciples' life. So we've got salvation when you believe you receive it. The first Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 says that we, the body of Christ, we're the temple of God when, because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Romans eight eleven says, because Jesus died for us, the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And that's the same spirit that will raise us from the dead. So there's the salvation part. I do not believe you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues to go to heaven. I think that is a uh, be honest. I think uh, that is not a Christian doctrine. Uh, while you can be Christian and have that doctrine, that is not a doctrine I see in the Gospels. Uh, I understand that interpretation. I, I think it's wonderful when people believe and are immediately are baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think it's wonderful when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment of baptism. I think it's wonderful and wish that all believers would be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues. However... Scripture is clear through Old Testament to New. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb and faith in that blood. Faith alone in the blood of the Lamb. That is what saves us. Everything else is an act of worship and obedience. And that is clear. There are so many Scriptures for that. We don't have time tonight to go into all of that. And we can talk about that later. But at salvation, let me tell you, if you believe in Jesus Christ tonight, you do have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you should know that. If you don't know that, then you might ought to question your salvation and, and get into the altars with God tonight. But you should know the Holy Spirit is inside of you. You should feel Him. You should sense Him. You should hear Him. He should be speaking to you. And that progression led them to say, we want to live like Jesus lived. We want to complete this mission and in order to complete that mission to reach the world, we must have more power, the power that He had. And that's the upon you. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit says they were saved by grace. They, Jesus went to heaven and they said, we're going to receive the gift, the promise that He said He's going to come upon us, fill us with power, and we're going to be immersed, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you see that in the book of Acts. And, and we see it throughout the book of Acts. That, and it's kind of like this. The first time, we often call it baptized in the Holy Spirit. That first time, 120 people in the upper room, they're waiting for 10 days, they're praying, they're, they're seeking God to have the power before they go be evangelists to the world and missionaries to the world. And they wait and they pray, and finally, man, God confirms it with tongues of fire and sounds of wind and speaking in unknown tongues uh, happens to all the 120, every single one of them. 
And God moves in miraculous ways. And man, thousands of people are added to the church. And the church just begins to act more like Jesus than they ever had. And unity and sharing and ministries to the poor. And all this stuff begins to be birthed by this event. Well, that was called the baptism. We often call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But after that, we see four more times in the book of Acts that this event continues to happen. It never has the, the tongues of fire and the wind. But it always has mostly the speaking in unknown tongues. Three out of five events in the book of Acts has the event of unknown tongues. The other two, one is the Apostle Paul, and we know he spoke in tongues, because it doesn't mention in Acts, but we know he did every day. He says so in his letters. The other was in Samaria with Simon the magician. He evidently saw something. He saw them baptizing the Holy Spirit, and he says, Hey, I want what you're praying for them. I want the power you have that you're seeing these people, you're laying your hands on these people, and man, something, something crazy is happening, and he wanted that power, and they rebuked him for having that kind of spirit. So evidently, something was manifest. Often, it's tongues is even coupled with prophecy, and this tongues is this unknown language that those people who are speaking it did not know, and we know from Scripture that that tongue, that language that's coming out of them, often is declaring the glory or the wonders or the mystery of God. It is often praise or prophecy uh, coming out of a person. And for sometimes it comes out in Scripture, they prophesied in their own language. And other times, and most often at the initial evidence of the Spirit, it came out in unknown tongues. And it was not always interpreted. It was just a prophetic evidence, and it was God's confirmation that He was electing them and calling them to do a task. Because they had been faithful, say, God, I want to do all that you have for me to do. I want to reach the world. I need the power to do it. And just like he had done it with Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Jesus and every prophet before, God had always confirmed it with some sort of evidence. Jesus had the evidence of the doves descending upon him. Uh, we see Elisha taking the mantle of Elijah. There was always some kind of transformation. Uh, Moses prayed for his uh, elders, and they all prophesied with ecstatic speech. There was always in Scripture, always some evidence uh, that God came upon. Even Saul, King Saul, prophesied with ecstatic speech when the Holy Spirit came upon him in the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament thing, but God really defines it so much more. So we have the salvation, the with you, the in you, the upon you, and that initial part is the baptism, and then after that, those apostles didn't just get it at one time. They kept being filled and refilled and filled and refilled. Every time God would take them to do something bigger and more, uh, they go to this town, go to that town. They would always meet together beforehand and pray, and they would say the Holy Spirit filled them. And they all went out and did what God called them to do. Okay, so that's why do you need the baptism if I already have the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit and the continual subsequent fillings are solely, most solely given for you so that you can be better witnesses of Jesus Christ. It's not about salvation. It's so that you can do something that God has got for you alone to do, to be a sent one, an apostle, a messenger, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And the sad part is, in Pentecost, often we have taught this as something you must have, you must need, without telling you what it's for. I wouldn't encourage you to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you're not willing to obey the Great Commission. 
There's no purpose in it. You're just getting tongues for tongue's sake or an emotional roller coaster or a high. We're seeking goosebumps. That is an error of modern Pentecostal doctrine. We are here to say God has called us to reach a lost and dying world. We want to be obedient. We want to see. It's not about me fearing uh, not doing what God wants me to do. My passion is that these young people who receive this word from God, they believe that, oh my gosh, Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Let's go tell somebody. And he's like, wait, get the power first. But it's coming first through this excitement that I have been changed. I believe he is alive today. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and I am ready to go. And they said, now get filled and go. That's, and there's no more waiting anymore. It's come. The Holy Spirit is here. He's available for any who ask, they'll receive. Okay, so that's that. Another question I always get is, what in the world are tongues? Anybody ever wondered this? What in the world are tongues? I don't know. No, not really. Uh, I can give you a little bit, okay? Tongues in Scripture is a Greek word called glossolalia. Don't worry, because it sounds like you're speaking in tongues when you try to say it. Uh, It's a spiritual gift giving you the ability to speak in a foreign language not previously studied by you. Sometimes speaking in tongues has resulted in uh, other persons. Now, I know of people who have gone to um, uh, conferences. Me in particular, I remember one time we went to a conference and... and, uh, uh, we were all sitting in a big room, all a bunch of young people, college students, and the evangelist was speaking. Uh, he said, stop, stop, stop. And he said, there's someone here, and you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit before, uh, and the, your, your heart is doing like this, and the, you know, your mouth is, is wanting to do something, and God is wanting you to stand up right now because uh, he's wanting you to speak in tongues and give a message in tongues. And the room just went, cricket, cricket, cricket. And all of a sudden, this girl, a few rows up in front of me, just stands up and just starts speaking and like perfect, what I understood, to be Chinese. I mean, you could hear it. And this is a, you know, Midwestern, USA, white girl who I don't think she'd ever been to China, you know? And so she began to speak, and, and all of a sudden, it's so fluent. And then another person stood up and gave the interpretation. That's one evidence of tongues. Tongues often comes when uh, I've heard of missionaries going to churches, traveling U.S., and people begin to speak in tongues and in the altars, and missionary would say, hey, that's the language of my home country you're speaking. You didn't even know that, but that's what you're speaking. Sometimes it happens, and sometimes it's unknown languages that we don't even know that anybody knows. It could be an ancient language far gone by. It could be a heavenly language. Uh, the Bible isn't clear on this. Uh, it just simply says it was unknown to them, but in the book of Acts... Those languages were understood by other foreigners. I've heard of pastors, true story, pastors back, back way back when in the early beginning of the Pentecost didn't have an understanding of tongues or really what it was. They just went out to the bush uh, in the South American jungle. And one specific pastor, I can't remember his name, got arrested. And he didn't know what to do because he didn't speak the language. And he actually just began in his jail cell to begin to pray in tongues. And he just started praying in tongues and kept praying in tongues. And the guard walked by. And he negotiated his own release by praying in tongues. And apparently his tongues was the language that the guard understood. So isn't that not incredible? Uh, That is not a normal practice, okay? Don't go to a foreign country and try that out on purpose. That's just something God did as a miracle, right? But tongues are normally unknown by you. 
Uh, it's a response of the Holy Spirit coming through you. It's not you forming the words. I'm not thinking. I know there's this uh, charismania that swept through the nation. You just start saying, untie my bow tie or something really, really fast, and the tongues will come out. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit moves upon you. Uh, and yes, you, you are not holding your mouth clenched and your teeth clenched and all that. He's not taking over you as in possession. But He simply moves upon you. And every believer I've talked to explains it differently. They've, some heard words in the back of their head. Some felt something in their throat. Uh, you know, my, my event, just the Holy Spirit came upon me and I couldn't do anything else but speak in tongues. It just, just a wave of emotion and, and the Spirit came over me. It was the most real experience of my life. Uh, but for Luke, it's always in prophetic speech. It's always a reception of the Holy Spirit. It's always a confirmation of His anointing, the fulfillment of power. Uh, and that's tongues. And the last one, uh, just to really quick have time for tonight, is how do I receive the Holy Spirit? We ask that. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Real quick. Number one is be saved. Number two, ask in faith. The Bible says He loves to give good gifts to those who ask, especially the Holy Spirit. So you ask in faith and believe. Sometimes we get real... I'm an analytical person. I have to figure it out and know how to do it before I try it. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. When I got the Holy Spirit, it simply was I was so out of my element, so out of my comfort zone, so broken. Uh, I, and how did I get broken? I had to go to the altar uh, because I was not a person who attended the altar services. I would always sit in the back. Uh, but one night I ended up, somehow or another, the evangelist tricked me to come forward. No, not really. I don't know how I ended up in the front. I just know he gave an altar call. The next thing I knew, I was down at the front. And... And in that moment, man, I was just out of my element, and they told me to raise my hands. I'd never done that. I don't do that kind of a thing. And when I did, man, just the wave of brokenness came over me. And in that brokenness, the Holy Spirit filled it. And that's all the only way in human language I can explain it to you. It came in a moment of just complete, utter surrender. And when I surrendered, the Holy Spirit filled, Okay. And I surrendered my mind, my understanding, my emotions, my pride. It was just all out. And the only thing left was a sobbing mess of a person. And then the joy, unspeakable and full of glory, just came swishing in. And that's the most thing I remember about the baptism. It was not the tongues. Well, that was wonderful. It was the overwhelming sense of joy. And uh, just the sense of knowing God was real and tangible. And that it was like I could touch Him. And I've said that before. When, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time, as real as I can touch this pulpit or these pews, uh, that's how real God became to me. And it be left, I was an intellectual person, and the intellectual arguments just left the room because God was now a reality. And that's the Holy Spirit baptism, in my opinion. So if you are saved, you ask, you will receive, but you have to believe it. The Word of God says He will give it, just believe uh, you may, I've heard of people who had to stay in the altars for six hours before God just broke them of everything and the control and the thoughts and you just got past all of yourself and the utter brokenness and, and just total desperation for God came. I've seen many people come for five minutes over ten years of ministry come and they wonder why they never receive because they never pray longer than five minutes. These people prayed for ten days straight. I'm not saying you have to pray for ten days straight, but... You have to linger with God 
and allow God to move upon your life and not put him on a time zone or constraint. And sometimes when I come to an altar, I'm so worried about what other people are thinking, if the service is going on, what time is it, blah, blah, blah. All that has to go out of the window, and we say, God, I just want you, focusing on you and you alone. And I promise you, I promise you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've confessed your sin, you just receive, and you, you don't sit there with your mouth shut. Just begin to worship Him and praise Him and talk to Him. He will fill you. But things to know, real quick, and I'm going to close with this. Things to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, you must have the right motive to witness. You want to receive the baptism, you've got to know its purpose is for witnessing. Number two, you must recognize that Jesus Christ is the baptizer. Pastor Heath does not baptize anybody in the Holy Spirit. It is not my laying on of hands. And our elders, it's not our worship team's music. It's not this building. It's not this church or denomination you're affiliated with. Jesus Christ is the baptizer in Scripture. Sometimes receive, people receive the baptism with laying on of hands. And other times, in Peter's case, in Cornelius' house, they received it in the middle of the preaching. He just began to preach. They believed it. Oh, my gosh. The Holy Spirit just showed up in the, in the middle of the preaching. Man, I wish that happened. Man, just preach, and the Holy Spirit just wiped people out. That would be phenomenal. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes it's been with people praying by themselves. They're going, you know, you, there have been times I've been, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit the first time, and I say refilled, and that's how I normally use the terminology. I've been filled multiple times since that moment in my life. And sometimes it's been when a person has laid hands on me. And I'd say many more times it's been with me personally in a sanctuary on a Monday or Tuesday morning praying. And God just come over me and I can't get up off the floor because the Holy Spirit just hits me. Uh, And I don't understand why and when and how he does it. He does it because he's got something he wants us to do and he's empowering us for something he's got ahead. And I just continue to seek him. But Jesus is the baptizer. The baptizer, the baptism is a gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough to receive it. If I hold out a dollar bill and I'm going to give it to Brent, sorry, but uh, if I held it out, he'd have to take it. The gift for, from God is there. Jesus purchased it. It's here. It's yours for the taking. It has nothing to do with you going to heaven or not. But if you want to receive it, you've got to take it. You've got to, re- you know, you have to do something to receive it. And that's seek after God. It's not something that he's just going to, you know, take you over and possess you. It's a gift, uh, but we receive it by faith. We ask and we seek and we knock, but we don't have to try to be good enough to earn it. That's a misconception too. Well, maybe I'm not good enough to receive it. Maybe God doesn't want me to have it. That is totally a lie of the devil. You are good enough to receive it. Sometimes God just wants to work on something in your mind to help you let go or to really say, maybe he's wanting something to do in your life bigger than you're ready for, and he does, you've got to work that out with him. Uh, and he wants you to spend some time with him. And sometimes it's a test of faith. Do you really believe that my word says, I'll give this to you? Uh, and if I tell my daughter, honey, we're going to go to the splash pad today, she is going to beg me until the moment we get in that car and go to the splash pad today. She's not going to let go of that. And sometimes we just say, oh, well, we're not going right now, so I guess God you know, doesn't want me to have this. But no, God said it's going to happen. Just believe it and just keep on seeking until you get it. Uh, and who does the speaking? The Spirit enables you to speak. Do not, we don't speak in tongues of our own control. God does not control us like a puppet. It's the Holy Spirit speaking in our life uh, in that moment. Uh, we pray in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. But yes, in that m- initial evidence, the Holy Spirit comes out often with the gift of tongues. 
and then from that moment on, I believe every believer is able to pray in tongues and have a personal prayer language. And we're going to get into that, a lot of those deeper questions. But you can pray in tongues, but it's not something you do. It's something God is doing through you that you and Him partner together with. Uh, and I just encourage you, persevere. Expect you're going to receive it. It's a promise. That's the truth of God's Word. You've got to believe His Word. And keep on being filled. My challenge for you tonight is maybe you've already been filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why, aren't you being, why not be baptized again? Why not be filled again? What if God's got something for you this year or the coming months? Uh, but we just get to that place and say, God, I want to be a willing sacrifice. God, I'm getting sin issues out of my life. And Paul says in Romans 12, be that living sacrifice. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy, acceptable to God, reasonable. This is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be continually transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we know God's will. That's that getting all this stuff. God, I'm, I'm just coming to you. And I'm going to be completely open, God, to what your method. There is no formula to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. Some were sitting and praying. Some have been laid on a hands. Some just come in the preaching. But whatever method God's choosing, you just say, God, I just want more of you. Focus on the baptizer. Don't focus on the tongues. Don't focus on the emotion or the feeling or the event or the spiritual checklist. You just say, God, I want everything you have for me. I know you love me. Be confident in his love for you. And then you just say, God, I'm here to receive. And I'm not going to... This If God gave it to them, I believe he wants to give it to you and I. I believe the book of Acts is a roadmap for us today. It's not something that happened. Nowhere in the book of Acts do we see that it ceased. And actually, the opposite is true. Throughout the Apostle Paul's letters, we see it continued to be moving in the gifts of the church. And even in church history, we see for the first 300 years of the church, it continued to move. Uh, and the power and continue on the mission field around the world and is available today. Millions and millions and millions of people worldwide, billions over the course of the last hundred years have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in unknown tongues. And today the Pentecostal worldwide movement across all the Pentecostal denominations is the largest movement in the world. The fastest growing churches in the world are spirit-filled churches who believe and teach in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The missions movement around the world that is seeing signs, wonders, and miracles and most demonstrates the early church are the churches who believe and receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit in power. The churches that change communities and shake nations are spirit-filled churches. Amen? I want to be a part of that. What we're going to do tonight, and I'm going to ask guys upstairs, go ahead and turn that CD on. We're going to have a time of prayer, let's say the next 15, 20 minutes, uh, and we're going to come back and close. But uh, I want us to just, in the upper room, they just simply sought God. It wasn't about seeking an experience. They just sought Him. And then He came. I believe God is wanting to take our church to the next level and grow us and grow us, and grow us, and grow us. It's a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a checklist. Wherever you are with God, God always wants to grow deeper in your life. Abiding in Him, growing in Him. The early church never saw it as these levels. They just saw it as, let's just get all the God we can get. Let's just go all in with Jesus. Let's just complete this great commission. I'm going to get you in a moment. I want you to find a place of prayer. Just to begin, let's just seek God with no agenda. Some of you, I encourage you, like to walk in prayer.